Our second lesson today comes from the book, the book of the church, the Bible, the New Testament. It comes from the Apostle Paul, and I'm reading from the first letter to the church in Corinth. I'm reading some familiar words from chapter 13. Let's listen. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have fully been known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Friends, the word of the Lord. I wonder, when you hear those familiar words, our text for today from the Apostle Paul, what comes to your mind? I wonder what's in your mind when you hear these words. Maybe uh, it's a wedding because these words are often read at weddings and maybe they were read at your wedding. They were read at my wedding because Ginger and I selected these words some years ago when we were married. Maybe when you hear these words, you think not of an incident, but of a person. Because somebody in your life actually embodied these words, made them more than a text from Scripture. Somebody along the way reflected for you a wonderful example of abiding, caring, abundant, sacrificial Christian love. Maybe so. Or maybe these words have become so familiar and so diluted to you that you heard them today and your mind immediately drifted to another subject, like maybe what you're going to do this afternoon or something else on your mind or your heart. Or maybe, maybe your heartache is so fresh today from some incident in your life and you really can't think of anything else. Who knows? Maybe when I started reading these words, you thought preacher's going to talk about love today. Big deal. And you checked out. Which is it? But as you read about my sermon series that I'm starting again today, and notice the title of this sermon, you notice that this sermon is going to have a slightly different slant, or at least it intends to. 
This sermon comes from a heartfelt question that I received from one of you, and I'm going to quote this person. Here's the note that I received. Dear Alec, Jesus challenges us to love and accept all others and to do so without judgment. This is hard for me, being judgmental about others, and it creeps into the church. How often do we all make the mistake of judging ourselves as more in the know concerning spirituality? Or more respected or influential than others in the church? And how often do we yearn to acquire that influence? It's hard to follow Jesus and then not judge others as we tend to all be very judgmental. End quote. Indeed, Christians, especially passionate Christians, Christians who pass a lot of other churches to come to this church, Christians who want to follow Jesus, Christians who want to love and serve, can also become judgmental. Judgmental. Harshly judgmental. I've referred previously to a very interesting and indicting book before today. I'm referring to it again, and this book is entitled Unchristian. What a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. That's the title. This book reflects on recent research by the Barna Group that says Christians are increasingly mostly known for what they are against. Indeed, Christians are increasingly perceived as not being full of love, but full of judgment. Not being full of welcome and grace, but anti-homosexual not full of helpfulness and justice, but for advocating many things that seem rather, well, unchristian. This is the opening line of the book, Christianity. Christianity has an image problem. It goes on to say that many of those outside of Christianity, especially younger adults, have little trust in the Christian faith. And the reason they have little trust in the Christian faith is that that they have felt rejected or judged by Christians, not loved. I doubt this is news for many of you, but perhaps some reflection on this data will help us think more authentically as Christians and live, hopefully, with more love and less judgment. This book sounds the alarm that Jesus has been hijacked. For many, especially those outside the church, Christian has come to mean entrenched thinking, empire building, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, illogical, and convert-focused people who cannot live peaceably with one another. Instead of living as Jesus instructs us, Loving God and loving others, those who say they love Jesus are too often seen minimizing others or worse, demonizing others who don't agree with them or see the world differently. This is what a new generation increasingly thinks about Christianity. So this is exactly why we cannot dismiss or minimize the text like we have today Jesus challenges us to love God and love our neighbor. And it's real clear, the greatest commandment. Paul reminds us again today just how generous and broad and unending Christian love intends to be. The emphasis in Paul's message is not about 
romantic love, which would be uh, between two people who are devoted to each other. That's another Greek word. Or neither is it an emphasis on what we might call brotherly love. That's another Greek word when two people really care for each other. Paul uses the Greek word here, agape, which is more about sacrificial, life-giving, love demonstrated in action. And this is what is so very hard because perhaps by nature we're all so quick to judge. Yet what God calls us to be about Indeed, what God asks that we continually work on, what God seeks to have aligning our lives, what God asks us to bend our lives toward day in and day out is this kind of sacrificial, life-giving, active love. God wants our lives so rooted in love, not judgment. God wants our lives to embody kindness, not condemnation of others. God wants us to emphasize Uh, how we can welcome others, not exclude others. God asks us to be about the kind of lives that embody care, that strengthens, not demonizes, that helps, not ostracizes. This is the kind of agape love that we're invited to live out. You've probably heard me talk before about my experience in the seventh grade. When I was in the seventh grade, I attended Chandler Junior High School on Brooklyn Park Boulevard in the north side of Richmond. During those days, our nation and our city in particular were struggling with integration and education and the massive challenges that that presented. The racial makeup of Chandler Junior High School when I was in the seventh grade was 90% African-American. These were memorable years for me. In fact, I barely passed seventh grade because I went to school afraid and uh, paralyzed on many days. Yet these were memorable uh, uh, moments in my life that continue to shape me and form my identity and allow me to think about different things so I would never trade them for anything. One reason I would not trade them is because of my friend Tony. Tony was my classmate. Tony was about my size and shape, but he was not my color. And while I was terrified and nervous on most days going to seventh grade, Tony was cool. And Tony was collected, and Tony was jovial, and Tony was generous with his friendship toward me. When I had to give my lunch money away out of intimidation in the lunchroom, he usually made sure I had something to eat before I got home. While I was generally nervous and anxious moving through the halls, he often sought me out and extended grace and welcome, even worked to make me laugh. And in a season of life that was trying and somewhat puzzling for me, Tony extended grace and generosity and concern day in and day out through my seventh grade year. So in a season of life that was challenging and perplexing and awkward, Tony embodied for me agape. Agape love, the doing acts of kindness, the living out the reality that human beings are made in the image of God. Tony showed me sincere support 
and care and his efforts nourished my life and I thank God for my friend Tony. Contemporary theologian Sally McFaig says this about our lives. We are not our own and we are not on our own. We are not our own and we are not on our own. If we could all just digest this, how much different would the world be? We are not our own and we are not on our own. Somewhere along the way, my seventh grade friend Tony knew this. I am pretty sure he wouldn't articulate it in that way, but he knew it and he embodied it, especially in his connections to me. There's no doubt about that. He had a sense about life and God sent him my way to extend compassion and care, not condemnation. From him, I experienced kindness in a world of unkindness. And from him, I experienced care in a world of fear, patience amidst impatience. From him, I experienced the spirit of agape, which is not nebulous love and is not romantic love, but love lived out in acts of compassion and care and sacrifice and support and friendship and encouragement, all of which makes life so much better. I suspect that you could name some people along your journey who have embodied agape in your life. And I could name other people beside my good friend Tony. If we have all kinds of talents and all kinds of expertise, but have not love, what do we have? If we have skills and intellect and we can move mountains by our faith, but have not love, what do we have? If our lives get filled more with judgment, is there any love? These are the questions for our lives. Love, agape love. Love embodied in acts of sacrifice and care. Love that demonstrates that all of us are made in the image of God, all of us. Love that builds up, love that helps and cares and cures. This is what's important. This is the life God calls us to live today and tomorrow and through the week and forever. My father-in-law, Randy Taylor, was a pretty good preacher throughout his life. He preached a sermon on this passage that I'll never forget. He said, what if we replaced our own names at every point that we have the word love in this passage from Romans? Then it would read, Alec is patient and kind. Brian is not arrogant or boastful. Mary is not envious or rude. Allison is not arrogant or rude. Then it would read, I would not insist on my own way. It would read, we would not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoice in the truth. You would bear all things. You would believe all things. You would endure all things. <coughs> Love never ends. How would that be? This is the kind of life we're called to live as God's people. This is agape love. Not sometimes, but all the times. Not when it's a good day, but every day. Not when we feel like it, but constantly. This is the kind of gracious, thoughtful, active, generous lives that we want to have as we follow Jesus.
In the oldest sanctuary and their descriptions in the Old Testament, in the oldest sanctuaries of God's people, the holiest of holies was that uh, was the center of the sanctuary. And in the holiest of holies was the ark. The ark contained the holiest objects like the tablets on which the law of God was written and also fragments of tablets. And then above the ark, in the holiest of holies, were two figures, the cherubim. In Exodus 25.20, it says that the faces of the cherubs in the holiest of holies are turned toward each other. Turned and facing each other. The point of the image is to convey the powerful truth. God is most present when people have their faces turned to one another. God speaks when people are facing one another, not in judgment, but in love. God is most present in care, in compassion, in community. There, in faces, when people are turned one to the other, when my eye confronts your thou, and your eye confronts my thou, and that plays out in all of our lives, in all of our encounters, this is where God is most present. So when we turn to one another, not in judgment, but love, and keep turning, in loving care, in faithful devotion and commitment, which is the agape love that Paul is urging, that we see there God most clearly there. Until we do that, we see only dimly. And we understand only in part. Agape love, that is the way to live as God's people. Today we're gathering at this Lord's table. We're all invited to come, whether we feel mostly judgmental or loving, whether we're confident or doubting, whether we're struggling or not, we're invited to come. We're, come, we're invited to come to be fed. We're, we're invited to be strengthened so that we can live in love, in compassion, in acts of sacrifice and service toward the world. It takes a great deal of work and it takes God's powerful spirit feeding us and sustaining us and going with us. But friends, agape love, this is how we live. We put our names in front of those traits. Alec is patient and kind. Rob is not jealous or boastful. Kathy is not arrogant or rude. We seek to embody that in every encounter with God's help. Love, not judgment. Commitment and care, not condemnation. How will you work on this this week? How will you live this out today and tomorrow and the next day and through the seasons that are ours? How will it play out? May God's agape love fill our hearts and so flow from our lives that indeed we become the kind of people that God calls us to be. People of love, not judgment. Following Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray.
Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to stand with you, to commit our lives to love. That's to abide forever. We commit to that way, following Jesus Christ. Amen.